welcome to the AK-47 podcast. That's 47 selections from the works of Alexandra Kolontai. My name is Kristen Godsey. I'm a professor of Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pennsylvania, and I am the author of Why Women Have Better Sex Under Socialism and Other Arguments for Economic Independence, which I am happy to announce has just come out in German. Today, I'm going to be reading a essay of Alexandra Kollontai's from 1921. It is called Theses on Communist Morality in the Sphere of Marital Relations. And in many ways, this essay is kind of a precursor to make way for Winged Eros, which we have discussed on this podcast earlier. And it's also one of the essays that got her in a lot of trouble with her Bolshevik colleagues. Kolontai wrote this essay during an incredible period of tumult in the young Soviet Union. It had just gotten out of World War I, it had survived the Civil War, and was going through a famine. But Kolontai was really interested in these questions of the family and thinking about Marxism and how a Marxist historical materialist analysis could be used in discussions of the family and sexual morality. So I'll just begin. Family and marriage are historical categories, phenomena which develop in accordance with the economic relations that exist at the given level of production. The form of marriage and of the family is thus determined by the economic system of the given epoch, and it changes as the economic base of society changes. The family, in the same way as government, religion, science, morals, law, and customs, is part of the superstructure which derives from the economic system of society. Just a side note here, that's classic Marxist analysis, right? That the superstructure is determined by the base, that economic relations actually inform our larger ideals of how society is supposed to be working. Back to Kolontai. Where economic functions are performed by the family rather than by society as a whole, family and marital relations are more stable and possess a vital capacity. The less the development of labor and the more limited its volume of production, the more preponderantly does the social order appear to be dominated by ties of sex. That's a quote from Engels in The Origins of the Family, Private Property, and Estate. In the period of natural economy, the family formed an enclosed economic unit which was necessary for humankind and thus had a vital capacity. The family was at that time a unit of both production and consumption. Outside the family economic unit, the individual had no means, especially at the earliest levels of the development of society, of sustaining the conditions necessary for life. In some areas and in some countries where capitalism is weakly developed, among the peoples of the East, for example, the peasant family is still fundamentally a family economic union. With the transition, however, from a natural economy to a merchant capitalist economy based on trade and exchange, the family ceases to be necessary for the functioning of society and thus loses its strength and vital capacity. The fact that with the consolidation of the capitalist system of production, the marital family union develops from a production unit into a legal arrangement concerned only with consumption leads inevitably to the weakening of marital family ties. 
In the era of private property and the bourgeois capitalist economic system, marriage and the family are grounded in a material and financial considerations, b economic dependence of the female sex on the family breadwinner, the husband, rather than the social collective, and c the need to care for the rising generation. Capitalism maintains a system of individual economies. The family has a role to play in performing economic tasks and functions within the national capitalist economy. Thus, under capitalism, the family does not merge with or dissolve into the national economy, but continues to exist as an independent economic unit, concerned with production in the case of the peasant family and consumption in the case of the urban family. The individual economy, which springs from private property, is the basis of the bourgeois family. The communist economy does away with the family. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, there is a transition to the single production plan and collective social consumption, and the family loses its significance as an economic unit. The external economic functions of the family disappear and consumption ceases to be organized on an individual family basis. A network of social kitchens and canteens is established, and the making, mending, and washing of clothes and other aspects of housework are integrated into the national economy. In the period of the dictatorship of the proletariat, the family economic unit should be recognized as being from the point of view of the national economy, not only useless, but harmful. The family economic unit involves a, the uneconomic expenditure of products and fuel on the part of small domestic economies, and b, unproductive labor, especially of women in the home, and is therefore in conflict with the interest of the workers' republic in a single economic plan and the expedient use of the labor force including women. Under the dictatorship of the proletariat, then, the material and economic considerations in which the family was grounded ceased to exist. The economic dependence of women on men and the role of the family in the care of the younger generation also disappear as the communist elements in the workers' republic grow stronger. With the introduction of the obligation of all citizens to work, Woman has a value in the national economy which is independent of her family and marital status. The economic subjugation of women in marriage and the family is done away with, and responsibility for the care of children and their physical and spiritual education is assumed by the social collective. The family teaches and instills egoism, thus weakening the ties of the collective and hindering the construction of communism. However, in the new society, relations between parents and children are freed from any element of material considerations and enter a new historic stage. Once the family has been stripped of its economic functions and its responsibilities towards the younger generation and is no longer central to the existence of the woman, it has ceased to be a family. The family unit shrinks to a union of two people based on mutual agreement. Now, I'm going to stop there because I think that what's really important to understand about this essay in particular, especially as it's a precursor to Make Way for Winged Arrows, is that 
Kolontai is not only working out theoretically how the family might change between capitalism and socialism or communism, she's also in the process of instituting some of the laws and practices that will help this change come about. And I think too often people read Kolontai as being against the family or wanting to destroy the family. That's often a charge that is leveled at people on the left, that somehow they are anti-family values. But I think what's really key is that what Kolontai is saying here is not that we won't have families, it's that our families will look different from the way that they did before. We're still going to have very tight bonds to the people that we love, even to a certain extent to our children and our parents, but we're also going to have bonds with wider society, wider social collective networks, friendships, comradeships, colleagues, and so on and so forth. So it's not so much that the communists are destroying the family, they're redefining the family, they're reimagining the family. And this isn't so crazy if you think about the fact that we went from once having very large extended kin families, large families as they do still in other parts of the world, to having these really small, isolated nuclear families. That was a historical change that was based on changes in the economic relations of production, largely going from agriculture to a more urban capitalist merchant economy. And so Kolontai is just thinking out loud really in this essay and saying, hey, as we move away from the family as a unit of production or consumption, and our production and consumption is more done on a collective level, what will be left of the family as a unit? And what she argues, and what I think is really important, is that what will be left is actual love and uh, comradeship and collectivity and personal attraction and affection to our loved ones, to our partners, to the people that we want to spend the rest of our days with, or at least a good number of those days with. And that this is really essential, this redefinition of the family, the concept of the family is really essential to the liberation of women. So long as the family remains the unit of consumption, Kolontai argues it is an inefficient use of women's labor, and it also tends to breed individualism or what she calls egoism because people are sort of siloing themselves off into these small two-person relationships away from the rest of the community. So I want to stop here and just reflect a little bit. It's obvious that the family is still very much considered a unit of consumption, a basic economic unit in our society. Because what we see is that around the time that people start coupling up and settling down, and this is true whether we're talking about straight or gay relationships, people tend to silo themselves off from their previous friends and wider social networks. They tend to become couples and they get pretty isolated. They stay home more, they don't go out as often, they don't socialize, they may not be as politically active as they were before, because there's something about this couple relationship that requires a kind of inward-looking-ness, an inward um, isolation of the couple from the broader social networks that they may have moved in before. Now, part of this, I understand, has to do with living in late capitalism, and we're all really exhausted and tired, and the last thing that you want to do after a long day at work is to come home and get changed and go out again and socialize with a bunch of people. Sitting on the couch with your loved one is really, really nice. And there's no judgment here 
if you want to just stay at home and hang with your family, I think that's fine, your friends or your loved ones. But I think that we have to think of this also more structurally, not just in our own personal lives, but think about the structures that sort of force us and isolate us in these relationships. What is it about the economic system that we're living in that you know drains us so profoundly at the end of the day so that if we are in a couple we are kind of siloed off from the wider social networks does that in fact contribute to the perpetuation of this system that is siloing us off i also want to you know think about people who aren't in a stable relationship and maybe who want to be in a stable relationship or a committed relationship or even just a platonic relationship where you have somebody that you can you know um, or a group of people that you're very close to, you know, we are becoming incredibly isolated. I, there are all these studies in the United States and in the United Kingdom that talk really profoundly about the epidemic of loneliness in our society. And so we're also spending a lot of time alone at home because we're exhausted and we don't have the time to go out and meet people and network with people. And I'm guilty of this as, as much as anybody else is. But I do think that Rather than thinking of this only as a personal problem, I, I think this is where Kolontai is really useful for us. Rather than thinking of this as something wrong with us, that, some, you know, that we're not trying hard enough or that we're not putting ourselves out there in the right way, I think this is actually systemic of the economic system that we're living in. And this is exactly what Kolontai is talking about when she describes social relations under capitalism. So capitalism, you know, forces us to retreat into the home, into our families as a way to survive capitalism. But precisely because we're stuck in our families and our homes or we're isolated on our own, we are actually helping to perpetuate the economic system that is forcing us to be lonely and isolated in the first place. So it's almost like a vicious cycle. And obviously from Kolontai's perspective as she was writing this she had just served as commissar of social welfare and she's really thinking about radically reimagining the family it doesn't work out obviously in the soviet union in the early 20s there are all sorts of challenges largely economic challenges that don't allow for the socialization of housework and cooking and mending and cleaning and all the things that Kolontai dreamed would be socialized in the early years of the soviet union they were not they didn't have the resources to look after all children, for instance, in institutions like kindergartens and creches. So a lot of that work remained in the home and that meant that people were isolated from each other and in fact, they end up kind of reintroducing capitalism during the new economic policy in, in, in Soviet Russia. And so I think that, yeah, that it's, a, it's a vicious catch-22. I don't know what the answer is. I feel like, yeah, if we all ate together in big, huge, you know, neighborhood canteens or cafeterias and we socialized with each other on a regular basis, sort of like my college students do at, at Penn, you would have this feeling of greater collectivity, which would make it easier to institute a more collective form of economic production in society. But since we're all you know, including me eating sandwiches at my desk for lunch because I just don't have time to go out and actually sit down and chat with people. At least that's true in the United States. I think this is less true in other countries, but it's certainly very true in the United States. We perpetuate our isolation and our isolation ultimately at the end of the day ends up perpetuating capitalism. Okay, that got a lot more depressing than I was planning for it to be, but I just sort of, I don't know, I, I have been thinking a lot about these things recently, and I wish there was an easy way out. I want to say everybody should go out and like have lunch with somebody tomorrow, 
but I'm sure everybody's really busy. But and, and tomorrow's Halloween, so um, as I'm recording this, I'm thinking Happy Halloween. That is actually a kind of collective thing where we all walk around each other's neighborhoods and knock on our, each other's doors and give each other candy. Uh, it's remarkable that this tradition actually still exists in the United States since we're violating people's pri- property and privacy and all sorts of things. Anyway, happy Halloween to everyone. And thank you so much for listening. And this is Kristen Vazzi with the AK-47 podcast. I will continue reading Kolontai's thesis, uh, theses on communist marital relations in the next episode. So until then, keep up the good fight. Oh